Today I wanted to talk a little bit more about the uh, Eightfold Path. So, does everybody know the Eightfold Path backward and forward? Anybody not know the Eightfold Path? I don't know. Okay, thank you. That's good. <laughs> um, the Eightfold Path is basically, it's all we have to do. It's, a, it's the only kind of prescription we have. The Buddha taught that the only reason he came to teach was to talk about suffering. And he explained that when he gave us the Four Noble Truths. That there is suffering, or dukkha, which is often better translated, I think, as dissatisfaction or dis-ease. Just that uncomfortable feeling that we can have that things aren't perfect, that we're still looking for something. We think we can make things be uh, more comfortable, more, more, we might feel better in our skins, but we're always sort of looking or feeling that we haven't found it yet. And it can also mean just suffering, physical suffering. But he said there is suffering, that that's the, nature of this, that's the nature of this world and the nature of this body we live in. But that there is the cessation of suffering and that there is a way out of that suffering. And then his prescription for the way out of that suffering is the Eightfold Path. So the Eightfold Path is what we need to practice to be able to deal with this suffering in our life, either to cause it to cease. What we're doing is transforming our, ourselves so the idea of suffering can end for us in this lifetime. So he, the Eightfold Path is right intention and right view. I always have a problem with the word right because it assumes, you know, it's the only, this is the only path. This is, uh, that's not the intention I think the Buddha had with the word right. And Bhante San and I always argued over a better translation for it. We never, we haven't come up with the perfect one, but we're working on it. So I don't want to offend people when I talk about right, 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 because that's not the, it's not right versus wrong that we're talking about. But I, I think another, the word I like is comprehensive or complete. I mean, the Eightfold Path can kind of take care of everything in our lives. So right intention and right view. And very simply, the right view would be understanding what the Buddha taught us about suffering. And to... Uh, we need to, we need, some people will say, I'm not suffering, my life is great. And a lot of people will come to the teachings of the Buddha and think, well, this is depressing. Like, I am not suffering. And, it's, and it can be a big obstacle. But if you start asking, you know, is somebody, they start experience, experiencing things that feel like suffering. Or if they think about, well, yeah, I did, I was really sad when, you know, my dog died or my mother died or some, you know, they begin to think about periods in their life that weren't difficult for them. Or they begin to think about, well, of course everything's not perfect. And I do get mad at my mother-in-law and I do, you know, 
I'm on the verge of getting a divorce from my husband. So little, little by little they start to see that, well, maybe life isn't quite as perfect as they'd like to believe. And then as we all go through life, we, we know we encounter a lot, of, a lot of pain and a lot of distress and a lot of uh, things not going the way we had hoped they would go. So the, the Four Noble Truths, the, the right view is, is accepting and understanding. Accepting means we see it for ourselves in our own life, that we, that we understand this is the nature of the world. It's the, way, it's the way it is. This is probably what we've got to learn about in this lifetime. And right intention is, I think, pretty easy. I think basically it can be reduced down to right intention can be living without harming, with ahimsa, which means not harming, uh, living our lives where we're always aware of trying not to harm, do any harm to the earth, to other beings, to ourself, and living with loving kindness, practicing metta, and that means practicing goodwill towards ourselves and towards all other beings. And uh, what's the first intention? Ah, renunciation. Renunciation sounds really severe. And if you if we can often think, well, I can't do renunciation because I don't want to become a nun or a monk. And we assume that renunciation means you know, giving up, giving up our life and becoming a monastic or going and living in a cave, then that's not what the Buddha was talking about. There is a path if you want to be a monastic, if you want to follow that path where you're, you leave the life of a householder and you become a monastic. You can choose that path, but a monastic has to work on renunciation just as much as a householder does. And I think they're only different, they're, they're just a different path. One isn't better or worse than the other. One isn't more noble than the other. But if you're a householder, practicing renunciation is still part of your practice if, you're, if you decide that what you want to do is follow the teachings of the Buddha and check those out. You know, you can come and practice meditation and not, not have an interest in the teachings of the Buddha, but you're practicing meditation for other, you know, there may be other reasons for your health, for stress. But if you decide to dip your toe in the water, if you decide to check out the teachings of the Buddha, then we're looking at the Eightfold Path. So. But the, your, your uh, intentions need to become renunciation, <coughs> metta, or goodwill, and uh, ahimsa, or non-harmful, non-harmfulness. And renunciation, I think it's good to look at that as uh, simply letting go of things that you know you were too attached to. Letting go of things that you think you need, but they might just be wants, or uh, letting go of things you have an aversion to. So you're, you, you will basically be working at letting go of those extremes that you discover in your life. Too much clinging at one end, too much pushing away at the other. 
and as you begin to practice more, you'll start feeling and knowing what those things are. You'll begin to feel uncomfortable. Someone that you always like to say, I just hate so-and-so, or I can't stand it when so-and-so does blah, blah, blah. Uh, after you practice for a while, it'll feel like that doesn't feel right when I get that kind of worked up about that. It just doesn't feel good. And you'll start even seeing your language changing. Oh, I don't like it when so-and-so does that. You know, what will happen is renunciation will come naturally. You'll start dropping things that you have strong, strongly held, strongly clung to opinions about. It becomes a natural thing to just gently let them go. You don't have to go and, uh, you know, sell all your furniture and move into a studio apartment and, unless you want to. But you don't have to. And I think for me, for a long time, I had that misunderstanding that, you know, you couldn't have anything. You couldn't, you know, you had to be, you really had to do the almost go and live in a cave thing. Or, or it wasn't worth the effort. What we, or what we try to let go of are things that we find ourselves clinging to. Or we find ourselves really pushing away. And if we continue to practice, we, those things will just fall away. So we don't have to work at it. So that's, that's it. That sounds simple, right? There's right view, right intention. Then the next three are lumped together in right action. So those first two we could call right wisdom, intention, and view. Then under right action, we have right livelihood, uh, right speech, and right action. So those are the things that we talk about a lot when we talk about the precepts. <coughs> right action is covered in that ethical behavior that most of us live whether we're, whether we're following the Buddhist teachings or not. Most of us have a sense of our own ethical, moral behavior, and we may be very comfortable with that, and it's, that's, that's really good. We're not, um, we're not living our lives on the edge and with extremes, and we're not uh, harming other people. So our, our right action is we may feel pretty good about that, and we, if you've taken the precepts, you know, we know that the first five precepts we take are, are not taking, not killing any living thing, not taking things that don't belong to us, not engaging in sexual misconduct, and uh, not telling lies. What's the fifth one? And not, uh, not taking intoxicants and, you know, taking drugs or alcohol that will affect our conscious mind. So uh, that may, th those may be things that are the easiest for us to work with, except there's one in there that I think is really difficult, and that's telling the truth. <laughs> and uh, even, for, even for a bodhisattva, I mean, even for someone who's becoming, who is really getting up there to being enlightened, speaking the truth becomes it actually is a requirement of a bodhisattva. They can, they can actually mess up on all the other precepts, but telling the truth is one of the things that uh, an, an enlightened person, an arahant, or 
bodhisattva that they have to do. They're, they're unable not to tell the truth. So uh, the whole area of speech, I think, we all probably are working on, telling the truth, not gossiping, not engaging in idle chatter, not speaking badly about other people, uh, not speaking in a harsh voice, not speaking with maliciousness toward anyone. So speech is probably the one that we're all always telling ourselves we want to work on. So that's, those are right action things. And then right concentration are the next three. So that's right effort, right mindfulness, and right concentration. And those are the qualities that we think of when we practice meditation. That's how we're developing that uh, right concentration. So your, your meditation practice, whether it's a few minutes a day or whether it's just coming to Blue Lotus, you know, your meditation practice that you are working with is where you're developing right concentration. And then that flows out into the rest of your life off the cushion. You know, all those things, right effort, right concentration, right mindfulness, we're training when we sit on the cushion and we move it out into the rest of our lives the minute we get up from the cushion. So, I had this idea, we could do, you know, we're all too busy, I, I believe, in our society, probably in all societies all over the world, we are all too busy. We are always, I mean, that's usually the reason we can't sit every day, right? We're too busy, we can't find the time. But we all are busy with, sometimes at the end of the day, I'm sure if you're like me, you look back and think, I was busy all day and I don't know what I accomplished. Mm -hmm. But I'm tired, so I must have been busy. Um, or you're doing a lot of things that maybe you question if you really needed to do those things. Or maybe you're still just really caught up in, I had a really busy day and I feel great. And I still don't know what I accomplished. But sometimes busyness becomes our way of uh, knowing who we are or justifying our existence or uh, a way that we're killing time. So I thought, what if we had a Buddhist to-do list, a daily to-do list, just make it really simple and uh, have the have the Four Noble Truths at the top with a big square check-off block next to it, and then the Eightfold Path. And all you had to do every day is just check off where you thought you were, you know, you could, you could fit that in with your busy schedule. You would just have your Buddhist daily to-do list. And if you, the more things you checked off, the better you could feel about yourself, and then at the end of the day, you could just pile them up. And uh, I'm being sarcastic, of course, because what I, what I realized was that's probably what most of us are trying to do. We mentally, once we start thinking, once we reach that stage where you're thinking, I probably should meditate every day, we're probably also creating a mental to-do list that's our to be a good Buddhist or to be a good meditator or to be a good practitioner. We probably have a mental checklist that we are frantically working to, to uh, check off. That's part of what makes us too busy. So it's not the solution to our problem. And I think what a lot of us can do is think, if I do those things, my life will get better. 
suffering will end, and uh, everything will fall into place. Everything will work out okay. And here's the sad truth of it. That's not going to happen. You know, we, we can check, we can read all the books and go to all the retreats and we can get the right cushion and the right bench and, uh, you know, we can get, even, even our jewelry can all be Buddhist jewelry. We can do all that stuff. We can, our house can be totally decorated in a Japanese style with, you know, we, and you know we all try to do that stuff too, right? Uh, and it feels good, and it's nice, and it may bring some calm into our lives. But the truth is, we will continue to have pain in our life, and we will continue to have awful days. We may continue to have years that just are really crummy. So if we think that we can check this stuff off of our list, or we can read enough, or go to enough things, that, that we will be in this safe place. There is no safe place. We are always going to be on the edge of the cliff and we are, it's, we are just that far away from being pushed over the edge. And we are always moving on to shaky ground. We're, we're really always, once we start our practice, we're really stand, standing, we're very, we're ungrounded, you know. We are finding a totally new ground for ourselves. So things are falling away for us. The more we practice, the worse it may get for a while because we're letting go of these things we're clinging to. And those are the things that make us feel comfortable. The clinging to things, the having super strong aversion to other things, Right now, that's what, that's what gives us comfort, because it's familiar. So when we start to let go of that stuff, and, and you will start to let go of that stuff, you're on shaky ground. There's no ground. You know, you're kind of thrown into, if you want to think of it, as a new kind of chaos, because you're transforming yourself. So. If you, if you thought that to-do list was really good, just imagine yourself crumpling it up and throwing it away. Because what you just have to do is be willing to sit with the discomfort. And the discomfort is ourselves. We're sitting, every time we sit, we're sitting with ourselves. We're, we're suddenly discovering how crazy we are. And it's not fun, you know? So, and, and eventually though, Seeing how crazy we are, seeing how wild our thinking is, seeing our habitual patterns come up over and over again, we can start to, we just get tired of it. So we start to just let it go. It doesn't feel good anymore when we shine a spotlight on it. So what we'll see is, say we're resisting sitting on the cushion. When we finally sit on the cushion, we may discover that we are resisting other things as well. So we might start to see, oh, what I do when I become uncomfortable is to put up resistance. Resistance is my way of taking care of myself. Maybe I'm resisting seeing something. Maybe I'm resisting 
I'm almost at the point of having some sort of aha moment. So I'm really resisting because I don't really want to take that next step because I know it's over the edge. I know it's into earthquake territory. So that resistance is very familiar and we, we talk, you know, we talk about resistance to even sit on the cushion. Well, once we get there, we may have resistance to doing anything except, you know, daydreaming. But then we begin to see, oh, this is what I do. So all of that stuff about us is what we take to the cushion, and we're just learning to investigate it without thinking a lot about it. So what we're trying to do is to stop all that thinking we do because the thinking is another one of our habitual patterns. Our thinking got us into this mess, right? So we, we gotta figure out, it's not gonna help us get out. So don't do too much. You know, do, do what, be with wholesome, noble friends, have wholesome, noble thoughts. You know, allow yourself to have that goodness in your life and, uh, and then just sit with yourself. And so we can break that eightfold path down into uh, our right wisdom, right action, and right concentration. And, and stop thinking about it. So that's it for today. Thank you.